I was just uh, thinking about how we have insurance for fires and floods. Like, those are things that cause damage, and they're kind of a disaster. But how many of you know that when the Holy Spirit enters in a flood, when he enters in with fire, it's like you, you feel overwhelmed, but it's not like, oh, I need insurance for this. It's that, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I've needed my entire life. This is exactly what I need in my situation. Or when he comes in with his fire, it's like, oh man, I feel alive for the first time. How many of you have ever felt that? And, and so I just, I just want to thank God today for using things that, that we have a different paradigm about, different things that are going on, but to refresh and, and to use his fire in our life, invite his fire and his flood in our life. When we're feeling overwhelmed or fired up about other things, sometimes we need his fire. We need his flood. So, God, I just thank you for your Holy Spirit flooding this place today and for your fire entering every heart, that in every situation, nothing can stand against the overwhelming power that you, you instill in us. And so, God, we just thank you that you come in with that flood this morning and that fire. We just thank you so much that we can live a life filled with that every day. Amen. Well, you can uh, greet the person next to you, and we're going to move on with our service. Good morning, everyone. So good to see all of you here. Excited for an amazing time with God this morning. How many came expecting something this morning? Amen. Come expecting receiving from God. It's, it's always great to come to church feeling like today I'm going to come and I'm going to understand and know God better. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel God. I'm going to touch God. God's going to touch me and we're going to be with the whole family of God. and It's just going to be an amazing time. That's what I look forward to when I go to bed Saturday nights, coming to here to be with you all. And so this morning, um, we're going to give everyone the opportunity to give and be generous this morning. And um, I was reminded of the story in the book of Exodus, chapter 36, when they announced the building of the great tabernacle that was going to house the, the presence of God and the ark of God. And how many know the presence of God is important in our lives? And... Um, you could picture the church, you know, you being the church, but the church building is just a representation of us collectively and who we are and what we stand for and what we do and what we're, we're doing for in the kingdom of God and the earth because we're doing amazing things in this place. Um, but I want you to see that Moses made this announcement and he asked everyone to give freely to the building of the tabernacle. And so the people came and they were willing, they were generous, they brought this offering that was incredible. And then they all went home. And I could just picture all these moms and dads and, man, I've got kids. Building for the future and seeing what God was going to do in the future generations with that tabernacle that housed the ark of God and the presence of God. And I want you to understand something. That when you give, when you're generous in this house, you're giving toward the future of this county, the future of this state and this nation. So I just want to encourage you this morning. So these moms and dads went home. They looked at their kids and 
And, and they thought, you know, that, that was so excited. We came, we brought that gift. You know, we were generous, but you know, Ethel, we could do more. And it, she was like, you know what? When we were riding the donkey home, I thought the exact same thing. You know what? Tomorrow, let's go to the tabernacle, to that site where all these people are working, and let's give more. So they came the next day, and they brought a bigger offering. They were so excited, and they were so overjoyed about the great things that God was doing, and there was a momentum in the atmosphere, and they could all feel it. And so, you know what? Ethel and and Mark and all the other people, they went home, and they thought the same thing, and so they also brought offering. In fact, the entire nation showed up the next day and gave some more without even being asked. And I don't know how many days this went on, but after a while, the workers had to leave the site of the tabernacle where they were carving and sewing and doing all this work, and they had to go to Moses and say, Moses, you know what? These people won't stop giving. They won't, their, their generosity is so overwhelming that we have more than enough to build the tabernacle. There's plenty, there's more than enough. Tell the people to stop. And so Moses, the Bible says, commanded, stop giving. And I haven't heard that from Pastor Steve yet. <laughs> but you know, there is an exuberance and there is a hope and there's a, a forward-lookingness that we need to have, if that's a word, toward the things of God and the plan of God that he wants to do through this house. Amen? And so we need to come with that expectation and that spirit of generosity when we give this morning. So let's be excited this morning. And I, You know, you can't tell people, come on, be excited. But, you know, there's exciting things that are happening in this body. There are testimonies and lives being changed, and, and we're reaching our community, and that's exciting. But, you know, God is so much more excited than we are. God is excited. And so this morning, if you're giving by a check, you can write it to Destiny Church. And um, if you're giving cash, you would like a receipt for your giving at the end of the year. Um, the ushers are here. They will just flip up your hand. They'll give you an offering envelope, and you can fill one of those out. So I just want to, uh, I just felt this morning just such an, expect, an expectancy this morning coming from, I, I, I just pictured in my heart when I was preparing for today, just such an expectancy coming from the audience for God and the things of God, an expectancy to hear from God, a word from God. And so let's open our hearts this morning and get ready to receive what God has. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are here. You promised that where two are gathered, two or three are gathered, that you are here in the midst of us. God, you are here. Your presence of here is here. Your anointing is here. God, today we declare hope in this atmosphere. We declare life into this atmosphere. God, we thank you for, for health, for hope, prosperity in the lives of every family in this church. And God, we declare today joy is in this house in the area of generosity. Joy is in this house in the area of giving. And God, God, today we receive that heavenly joy, the joy of the Lord, as our strength today in our giving. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, you may pass the offering containers to all the excited, exuberant, happy, expectant people today. Amen. God is good. There's a couple questions that I wanted to ask you this morning before we kind of really got into the message. First one is, do you find yourself attractive? I'm like, what? 
Okay, let me ask you this. Do other people find you attractive? Just be honest with yourself a little bit there. It's okay. I asked Aaron that, do people find you attractive? You tell me, she said. I don't know. <laughs> what do others see when they look at you? What do you represent? My title this morning for this sermon is Hope on Display. Hope on Display. And today, I believe you're going to get an inoculation of hope by the Holy Spirit. Just open up and get ready for the shot. <laughs> it's coming. The Bible, um, you know, I'm going to make a statement. Just one display of God's glory could have someone begging you, what must I do to be saved? Look in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 27. This is a book written by the great Apostle Paul to the believers in the city of Colossae, which is currently on ancient ruins. It's not, the city is no longer inhabited. And um, the, the city had, at the time, probably up to 30,000 people that lived there. And so roughly three times the size of the city of Alexandria. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter, and it's um, in the, currently in the southwest region of the na current nation of Turkey. He said to these believers, Living within you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. This mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure. Everybody say treasure. A heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for his people. And God wants everyone to know it. Hidden within you is a treasure chest filled with hope because Jesus Christ lives there. And God wants everyone to know it. Did you know that because of Christ in you, you become a house of glory? You house the glory of God, like we were talking about in offering. You are the tabernacle of Christ. The Bible says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He makes you an instrument of hope to the world, an instrument of holiness and healing, prosperity, peace, joy, signs, wonders, miracles, and creativity. And you can understand your God-given purposes what they are and how to fulfill them so that you can manifest the kingdom of God in your home, manifest the kingdom of God in your community for the sake of God and for his furtherment of the kingdom of God where you live. Now, how does all this happen? Colossians 1.27, Paul said that it is Christ in us. Say, in me. The hope of glory. Christ in us. Look at your neighbor and say, I like the Christ in you. I'm going to read another translation of that same verse. I don't, I don't know about you, but when I study the Bible, I like to read tons and tons of different versions of, of what the Bible says to get a good picture of what God is trying to communicate to us. This version is called The Voice. 
It says, he decided to make known to them his blessing to the nations. Isn't that amazing? It wasn't just to the Jewish people. It was to the nations. It is to everyone, to all people of all races. The glorious riches of this mystery. Everybody say, this mystery. You know, when I see the word mystery in a verse growing up, many times I thought that, okay, that's something that I need to chase after. That's something that I need to figure out, that I need to pursue. Not realizing that it says that this mystery is the indwelling of the anointed in you. There's the mystery right there. To everyone in this room, if you have received Christ, if you're a believer, this is no longer a mystery to you. God isn't mysterious. The religion likes to make God seem mysterious, but God is not. God loves to reveal. He reveals himself. And so he says, the mystery is the indwelling of the anointed in you, the very hope of glory. Phillips, J.B. Phillips' New Testament says, that I might fully declare God's sacred mystery. Now this is Paul. Imagine Paul writing this letter to the church, the believers of Colossae. I want to declare God's sacred mystery, which, is, which up to now has been hidden in every age, in every generation. They only saw glimpses of it in the Old Testament. Once in a while, a prophet would pop up and say, he's going to be this. His name is going to be this. And he's going to look like this. And he's going to do this. And there was just little glimpses that I have. But now Jesus has been fully revealed to us. Isn't that exciting? It's no longer hidden. It's no longer a mystery. We've got it. We've got it. And it says that... Um, but which is now as clear as daylight to those that love God. It's no longer a mystery. It's clear as daylight. We can see it crystal clear. The next verse says, They are those to whom God has planned to give a vision of the full wonder and splendor of his secret plan for the sons of men. God has a plan for you and I. And the, and the secret is simply this. Christ in you. Say that with me. Christ in you. Yes, Christ in you, bringing with him the hope of all glorious things to come. We live in an exciting day. Amen. We got to believe that. We live in a very, very, very exciting time. Now, the word glory here, I'm going to define this for you. When people speak of glory, they can take it a number of different ways. But I want to break this down. The predominant meaning of glory in Scripture is recognition. Recognition. It may denote form, aspect, or the appearance of a person or thing that catches the eye. Attracts attention. Remember I asked you if you thought yourself you were attractive? Or other people thought you were attractive? Just follow with me. Or commands recognition, splendor, brilliance, glory attracting gaze. That's what I love. Glory attracting gaze. When people look at you, sometimes they might think, I mean, the Bible calls us peculiar, that we're a different people, we're a unique people, we're set apart. And there is something very unique and special about you because you are marked with the glory of God. You are marked with the hope of the world. In the book of Genesis, we see Adam and Eve, they're completely clothed in God. As caretakers of the earth, they were to tend the garden that God had placed them in. 
and, and expand it until it covered the entire earth. I believe God is still in the process of doing that in our lives through you and I, covering the earth with his glory. He wanted to cover the earth through all that Adam and Eve did as they carried out God's plan through their future generations. They were carriers of God's glory and they were fully in God's image and character. When they ate from the forbidden tree, the presence of God, God's image, his likeness, and his way of thinking left their life. It was taken away from them. But later in time, Moses, in the time of Moses, God lived and traveled with his people in a gold-covered box called the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant. And eventually, the great King David's son Solomon, he built a temple to house the Ark, to give it a permanent home because the people were no longer nomadically traveling in the desert. But as long as they obeyed God and they had the ark in their possession, the Bible says that Israel had favor. How many of you have the favor of God over your life? As long as they carried the presence of God and the ark of God with them, they had favor. I want you to understand what you're leaving this place with, with the understanding of what God is inside of you. They had an understanding that if they had the ark, they had this presence, that they were going to be successful. Successful in their career, successful in their whatever venture that they had set out to do. And they were going to have victory over all of their enemies. Isn't that good? So to Israel, the ark represented life, hope, victory, and good days. Everybody say good days. Good days are ahead for our church. Good days are ahead for you and I. So many of you maybe have gone through the child naming process. We did. We've done it that we've gone through it three times. And I don't know, is, can we show today? Jeremy and Katie, if you guys could stand up. Her name's Cora Kate. Her name is Cora Kate Cornamone. All right. Welcome to the family, Cora. So a lot of us have gone to, through this baby naming process, right? We have a couple over here that will go through it very soon. Do you have any names picked out? Good deal. So they're putting some thought into that. That's a, that's a good sign. You know, but, you know, there's some names in the, that, that are in the Bible that you would never name your child. Like Judas. I gotta, Hi, Judas. How are you? Alex and Sindel, can you, you can stand up? Where are you? There. They recently had their baby. It was a, a boy. What's, her, what's, what's his name? Henry? Henry, awesome. Well, welcome to the family. Is he here? No, okay. Well, congratulations to the families of the church, amen. Congratulations to you, church. You're all family here. We should be handing out pink cigar, pink and, and blue cigars, right? The gum ones, the gum ones. 
Another name maybe you shouldn't name your child is Jezebel, you know, just a thought. But there's a story in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 4. The story of a woman giving birth on the worst day of her life. She hears the news that the presence of God, the ark of God, the favor of God had been stolen by the enemy army, the Philistines. A servant comes running to her and he tells her, your father-in-law, the high priest, the man who stands before all the people, stand before God on behalf of all the people, has died at the hearing of this news and he fell over backwards and broke his neck and died. Your father-in-law is dead. Next, another servant comes to her and says, I have some worse news, worse than you've heard as of yet. Your husband, Phineas, has also died in the battle. Upon hearing this news, she decides her na- to name her baby Ichabod. The glory of God has departed. God is no longer with your nation. You'll no longer have favor in your life. The enemies will overtake your country. You no longer have hope. You're orphaned. You're abandoned. God has left. Without Christ, there is no hope. Without the ark in their possession, there was no hope. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, this is one of those glimpses that they heard before the mystery of Christ was revealed in in the New Testament. All right then, the Lord himself will choose a sign. A child shall be born to a virgin, and she shall call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. God with us. You know, there's a great man of God. His name was T.L. Osborne. He is currently living in heaven. He preached in all the major countries of the world. Huge crusades. His ministry was marked by just the miraculous healings of people. And he said this one time. He studied all, he said, I've studied all the religions of the world. He said, do you know the difference between Christianity and every other religion? Listen. He said, Christianity is the only religion in the world where the God who is worshipped lives inside of the worshipers. Isn't that powerful? Think about that. He said, in every other religion of the world, you have to go where God is. In Christianity, God is where you are. That is so powerful. We have Christ in us. We have the glory of God in us. Our life is like an ark to the world of safety, of security, of hope. In Hebrews 13, verse 5, the Bible says, I will never leave you or forsake you. You are not abandoned. You are not without hope. You are not orphaned. 
And it is, it is still God's plan, as in the beginning, to fill the earth with his glory. That's still God's plan with his likeness and character. And we have yet to understand and realize who is on the inside of us. The impact that the power that resides in us is capable of. Let me ask you this. What can the power of God do through you? At your job, in your school, in your home, moms and dads. The most powerful place you can display hope is in your very own home. But we have to choose what spirit or attitude we're going to align ourselves with. You know, we can have a without Christ attitude, give up, no faith, no hope, no dreams, no future. Oh, I don't believe God's going to do anything great. You know, just the without Christ attitude. But there's the new creation attitude that I believe God wants all of us to carry. It says, give me my mountain. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The new creation attitude says, by his stripes, I'm healed. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above only and not beneath. I'm more than a conqueror. Something good is going to happen to me, and I'm expecting a miracle in my life. Doesn't matter what comes my way. Doesn't matter what I see. Doesn't matter what I feel. I am a king, and I'm a priest in this earth. That's the new creation attitude, and that's the attitude that the God inside of you has. The best and most easily understood definition of glory is this. Not lacking God's image and character. Remember that. The definition of glory is not lacking anything of God's image or his character. We don't have to go through life, go through bad things with a bad spirit, right? Without hope. You know, you can look at the world today, you can look at politics, the economy, the sociological um, state of our nation. But that is not the attitude of the church, amen? Whatever happens in this nation, whatever happens in the world, God is with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. No matter what goes on, God is with us. Everybody say, God is with me. Now the disciples, they're a different group, aren't they? Just like us, right? Jesus ascended to heaven, and he's gone, and he sent the Holy Spirit and wind and fire. It's like our, our song was saying earlier. The disciples, I believe, were God's image and his character on display. Luke, in the book of Acts, gives us many instances and stories related to this. You know, people would even be healed when the apostle Peter walked by them. The Bible says when his shadow came upon them that they were instantly healed. They even took pieces of Paul's clothes cut them up and sent them to those that weren't feeling well or had sickness and disease. And the Bible says that evil spirits and sicknesses left them as a result of just putting a piece of Paul's clothing on them. 
Paul raised a man from the dead. Evidently, his sermon was a little boring that day, and this man fell out of the window listening to his sermon. So Paul just thought, well, i got to raise him from the dead. I guess there's no other option here. So Paul went out, raised, him, raised the man from the dead. Philip the evangelist was geographically translated from one place to another, physically translated. A man that was lame from birth was sitting in front of the temple at the gate beautiful. And he reached out to the disciples and they said, we don't have anything to give you, but what we do have, I'm going to give you. And the Bible says, they, they, they said, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the man, Bible says, his feet and ankle bones immediately received strength. He went walking and leaping and praising God with them into the temple at the hour of prayer. The Apostle Paul shook off a poisonous snake that had bit him without a second thought. We're not talking about New Testament. I'm not talking about Old Testament instances. This is the day that we live, church. This is the time for you and I. There is no ending to the book of Acts. It's a continuation. There was undeniable and notable signs and wonders that took place through the believers in the book of Acts that should be happening today, that are happening around the world. But the hope on display, God is, and the world is looking for that to come through you. The Bible says that he, his eyes go throughout the earth looking for someone that he can show himself strong on their behalf. So if your life is not a picture of hope on display, you're living outside of God's purpose. You know, there's synonyms to hope, which I, I love cinnamons, synonyms. I love cinnamon, too. Cinnamon toast. I love it. <laughs> cinnamon on my French toast. It's great. You should try it. Synonyms to the word hope. Intense anticipation. Confidence. Earnest expectation, optimism, promise, reliance, security, the bright side, desire for future good. You know, children are full of hope. I have three of them, and they hope for things all the time that I won't give them. <laughs> but they, 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 choose, they, they won't be denied the thought or the question or, or the insistence or the persistence, will they? And I, our daughter, Janie, she's like, I think, 14 months old now, and she is starting to brush her teeth. And so she stands on tiptoe at the sink, and she, her, her thing isn't about brushing her teeth. It's about putting her brush in the water, in her mouth, brushing the water in her mouth. It's a fun game she plays, so her mom has to clean the bathroom when she's done. <laughs> but that tippy-toe expectation... When the child comes to me, they, they want me to pick them up like they come to the door. I've barely been home. My feet have barely touched the floor. But they're at my legs, at my feet, pick me up, play with me. Daddy, do this. And they have all these things to share with me that they did for the day. And they are so full of hope when daddy comes home or when mom comes home if she's been out. doesn't happen very often. should happen more. She needs, Aaron needs to get out some. <laughs> But that pick-me-up attitude, that hope in a child's eyes, that's the way we need to be. The Bible says we must become like a child. 
children are full of hope. And you possess the hope of glory. The earth and mankind looks to you in hope. You are the kings and priests of the earth. The world is depending on you and I to be a display of hope. You know, the current state in our nation has put many people in a place of desperation. But don't allow the state of the world to bother you. Your hope isn't in man or in the world's systems. Christ in you is the hope of the unbeliever. You should be full of hope as the church. So full of hope, full of expectation, full of intense anticipation. 1 Peter 3, verse 15 says, If anyone asks about the hope living within you, always be ready to explain your faith. Always be ready to relate the faith and the glory of God that is inside of you to those around you. Always be ready to do that. You know, people constantly ask questions of Jesus. They constantly ask questions of the disciples. Questions are powerful. Questions are very powerful. You know, children are full of questions to the point that you want duct tape sometimes. But God put in them that inquis inquisitivity. Inqui they're so inquisitive. He put that, that inquisitiveness inside of them so that they have that intense desire to learn and to know things and to experience things. God put that in there. Sometimes he should take it out. <laughs> but he does not do that. He... But somewhere along the line, we think we know things that we don't think we need to understand anymore. As adults, we, we quit asking questions. We're afraid to ask questions. I say there, hey, don't be afraid. Anyone have a question? Just free, feel free to ask. Questions full in the full of questions in the room, but no one will ask. Questions are the key to learning. Questions are the key to growth. Questions are the way to expand and to increase. God wants you to ask questions. Never stop asking questions. You know, Paul and Silas were in this city of Philippi, and, and Paul and Silas were being followed by this slave girl who was a fortune teller that was making a lot of money for the men that used her to, with a, a demon to tell people's fortunes and to um, speak things to them. After a while, the Bible says that Paul got tired of this happening because the woman kept following them and said, these men, these are men of God and they show us the way to salvation. And so eventually Paul, he had discerned that this was an evil spirit that was speaking. And so he commanded the spirit to leave this girl. When the spirit left this girl, she could no longer tell fortunes. She no longer had that ability to tell people their future or to tell people things about their lives. And so these men that owned this slave girl became very angry with Paul and Silas because they had made much money, it says. They profited greatly, the Bible says, from this girl. And so the slave girl is free, and these men caused an uproar in the city of Philippi. 
They caused a ruckus, and it became like a mob riot. And they brought Paul and Silas to the chief magistrates of the city and to the Romans in this town. And they said, these people must be punished because of what they've done. They're causing trouble in our city. Now, the Bible does say that these people that have turned the world upside down have come here also. You know, you might turn your workplace upside down this week. Just one display of hope could have someone begging you, what must I do to be saved? Your display of hope can create questions in people's lives. And they'll come to you for the answer because they just are attracted to you. You're not your personality or your beautiful face or your incredible macho personality, but because they see a hope inside of you. That's a mystery to them. They don't quite understand it. They don't know what it is. They look at you funny and they try to figure it out. Maybe talk behind your back a little bit, but they like you, but they don't know why. There's a mystery inside of you that God wants the world to know. So they ordered Paul and Silas to be beaten by the Romans. Now, I want to give you a little explanation about how this works. The Bible says they were beaten with rods. It's the Greek word rabdizo. It means many stripes, many hittings. It's not limited to just 40. The Bible says that Paul was beaten by the Jews five times. He was beaten by the Romans three times with rods. The Jews just used a scourge. And they were limited to 40 stripes, but they did 39, just in case they miscounted. How thoughtful. It is in the, the law in the book of Deuteronomy that decided that. But the Romans had no limit to how much they could beat you. Romans were known for being severe to their victims. This was not a private beating. This was a public show. They used long, stiff sticks or staves. And a strong Roman soldier delivered the whipping. A man trained in how to intensely inflict pain. They were beaten all over their body. Their ribs, their bones, their muscles were were broken and torn. Sometimes Romans would even bind their victims and lift them upside down so their feet were exposed. And they would beat their feet and break the bones in their feet. So imagine Paul walked to spread the gospel. Paul wouldn't stand before you like this. I'm sure Paul would look like this. The Bible says that Paul's letters were weighty and full of power. But when people saw Paul with their eyes, they were like, this is the guy? I'm sure Paul hobbled. With the many times he had been whipped and beaten, shipwrecked, stoned, left for dead. They thought the guy was 
gave up the ghost and was done for. They left him for dead outside the city. He got up and went back inside the city. History indicates that many men died from these Roman beatings. Paul suffered and endured this Roman style of beating three times. Paul carried a treasure in an earthen vessel. How many are grateful for Paul? He carried a treasure in this clay vessel of flesh and skin. He understood the hope that was inside of him. He was willing to pay a great price to bring it to the world and to spread it throughout the known world at that time. But the interesting thing is, as Romans, Paul and Silas were Romans, they were not supposed to be beaten without a trial. But they skipped the trial and went right to the beating. The Bible says in Acts 16, verse 23, after they were severely beaten, they were thrown into the prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them securely. So the jailer placed them in the innermost cell of the prison and had their feet bound and chained. So they were in stocks. Talk about uncomfortable. Forget about the beating. I mean, just alone being in stocks and bonds, that would be horrible. They had this incredible opportunity to have a without Christ attitude. Paul, I told you to leave that woman alone. Leave that demon alone and that girl, Paul. Imagine the arguments that could have happened because of what they had gone through. But Paul and Silas, the Bible says in verse 25, they were undaunted. They prayed in the middle of the night and sang praises to God while all the other prisoners listened. Hope on display. Hope on display. Suddenly a great earthquake shook the foundation of the prison and all at once every prison door flung open and the chains fell off of every single prisoner. Hope on display. Startled, the jailer woke up and saw the door standing open. Assuming that all the prisoners had escaped, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. And Paul yelled, Stop! Don't do it! We're all still here. And the jailer called for a light. And when he saw that they were all still in their cells, he rushed in and fell trembling at their feet. Hope on display. Then he led Paul and Silas outside and asked, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, and you and all your family. And they prophesied the word of the Lord over him and his family. Even though the hour was late, he washed their wounds. Hope on display. Then he said, then he and all his family, the Bible says, were baptized, and he took Paul and Silas into his home and set them at his table, and he fed them. And the jailer and all his family were filled with joy at their newfound faith in God. Hope on display. 
the entire family received Christ. Living within you. It's a living hope, the Bible says. The hope of glory. They accepted with joy what had been made known to them about Christ. Just one display of God's glory could have someone begging you, what must I do to be saved? You know, the entire universe is standing on tiptoe. This is the, uh, the Passion Translation. It says, the entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see. Everybody say, to see. The unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. If we could have the worship team come up. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of the glory of God's glorious sons and daughters. All the earth is waiting for the revealing of the hope that is inside of you, the hope of all the world. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse seven says, "But we have this treasure in common clay jars." We have this treasure, church. You and I, you might not feel talented, you might not feel special, but God ordained before the foundations of the world that you would be here for such a time as this. And then he has chosen to fill you, fill your, fill your life, to make your life a tabernacle of the ark of God, of the presence of God, the hope of all the world, to live inside of you, and God is looking with great anticipation to the future of your display of hope. The Bible says we go from glory to glory and from faith to faith. From one level of glory to the next level of glory. From one level of believing and speaking to the next level of believing and speaking. I believe God has a very special eye-opening for each of you of the hope that lives inside of you. Hope is not dead. Hope is alive. Hope is very much alive in the church of God. Hope is very much alive. But we have this treasure in common clay jars that carry this glorious treasure within so that this immeasurable power will be seen as God's not ours. Can, we st can you stand with me this morning? God, you are so good. Some of you have been crying out for God's power to, to be seen in your generation. Some of you have been crying out for God's power to be seen in your home, to transform your family, to transform your schools. And God is answering that prayer today. God says, I'm coming. I'm coming to heal. I'm coming to save. And I'm coming to deliver. What once was lost is now found. I'm coming to lift your life. I'm coming to take you to a higher place, to a higher level. There's going to be a new faith. There's going to be a new level of believing. There's going to be a new hope that is rising inside of you. 
This message is but a seed of hope, a seed of faith to bring you to that place, to lift you to the next level that God has for you. God, we worship you. We praise you. Could we just stretch out your hands this morning like you're ready to receive something from God? Come on, expect something this morning. Expect to receive from God. It is God's power. It is his touch. It is his moving in your life that is going to bring about the answer to the prayers that you have prayed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, you're so good. You're so good. Go ahead, Lauren.
take what the enemy meant for evil. You turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil. You turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the
when he's come up to exhort, I said, there's another transformation going on in him. I could see it's like, wow, there's another measure that God has put on your life. And, and today, that's the best I've ever heard. I mean, there was something in you that brought hope. What you were talking about, the reflection of God was coming on you. I just, it was amazing. So anyway, <laughs> I'm going to attempt this song. And the title of the song, but had a title was, Lord, give your church a song in the night. I play a different guitar, you know, it's like when you <laughs> grab somebody else's guitar. The strings ain't quite in the same place. <laughs> but we're going to make it work. Lord, give your church a song in the night, a song that sets a billion angels to flight, and let us sing like Paul, let us sing like Silas. Locked down in prison for their love of Jesus and pre and earth's travail and earth began to quake. Prison doors open, let the sun. together because it's a powerful prayer and let's just sing let your kingdom come let your will be done right here tonight with me then let your kingdom come Lord God let your will be done right here in this house right here in this house like a Oh, come quickly, Jesus. 
Amen. 